Hello and welcome to this HGKC podcast, part of our Finding Your North Star series of conversations with prominent business leaders. Today, I'm delighted to welcome Rich Kersey and Helen Maloney. Rich, founder of Kersey Creative, works with cutting-edge technology companies to promote groundbreaking solutions. He noticed there's a gap in understanding between the creators and users of their technology and helps his clients bridge this gap through motion graphics video. Using his expertise in visual branding and motion graphics allows them to make the intangible tangible. Helen is Managing Director of Digital Marketing Agency All Things Web. They work with ambitious businesses, helping them to promote their brand successfully online, generating new leads and sales, as well as creating a community of loyal customers that regularly buy from them, and more importantly, advocate their products and services in their own networks. So welcome both of you. Morning. We've um, boldly titled this conversation, Build Your Brand, Get More Leads. And I thought I'd explore with you what you think are the pillars of a great brand. And Helen, perhaps I could start with you. How would you advise your clients approach getting consistency across channels? Thanks, Peter. Yeah, that's one of the really tough questions, actually, because there's with lots of different channels and more than one person doing the activity. And equally, if you add to that a general lack of time and clarity, we regularly see that there's a lot of inconsistency, either in the way that things are executed or in the volume of activity. For me, it's like everything, really. It comes down to preparation and planning. I mean, as well, I think the good starting point is to ensure that everyone within the company, whether they're engaged directly in marketing or not, are clear on what the brand stands for. Not just a logo or a set of colours, but really understands what lies beneath it. And more importantly, that they buy into it. They need to understand who the customers are and why they buy from them, the unique story and what the business stands for. That way, you've already won part of the battle because no matter what their role in the business, they mm. will naturally deliver a consistent message to mm. customers and equally a, a you know, really good customer experience that supports the brand. Of course, you do need time and resources to plan activity properly. And to our clients, we suggest using tools to make sure there's some consistency. So things like brand guidelines, tone of voice documents and content calendars. They can be really effective tools to help make sure that you get that consistency. And I'd say one of the things, if you can, that I think really helps is to have one person in the business that acts as the brand champion. They don't have to be the MD. They just have to have oversight and the authority to challenge to make sure that everybody is keeping going in the same direction. I think that's a really good point. You mentioned brand guidelines there. and Rich, your focus is on the visuals. How would you use a tool like brand guidelines to help achieve consistency? Yeah, thanks, Peter. So, I mean, for me, guidelines can often be a sort of an overlooked ingredient when a branding exercise takes place. So imagine buying flat pack furniture and when you come to build it, there's no instructions. <laughs> you have all the pieces you need, but you have to guess how it all fits together. That's the role that brand guidelines fulfill from my perspective. And I've worked with companies that have teams of hundreds of pages. It's really unnecessary. On the visual side, usually a guide which covers fonts, colors, logos, photography, and any graphics is sufficient. Mm. There's various reasons, I guess, why guidelines are the first thing to get pulled in a project. One, the client budget doesn't stretch far enough when their asset requirements are taken into account. Two, the client has a budget, but sees them as an unnecessary expense. But in my experience, that's a false economy. And the cost is your brand consistency. Mm. So when you select a design agency to create your brand assets, you could be convinced you'll never work with anyone else. But that's rarely the case. You may require a service they don't offer. This could be signage, clothing, web design. 
you, you may just decide to work with another agency or they may just be too busy. And without this document, you suddenly run the risk of uh, inconsistency. Yeah, yeah. Um, I guess creativity in branding is pretty significant as well. For you, Rich, how does creativity play a part in branding? So if you think of the, the best brands you know, I can almost guarantee you're visualizing a great logo, an advertising campaign, or hearing their slogan. These are all examples of how creativity plays its part. It's one thing to create a unique business with an incredible product, but if it's creatively unmemorable, it will be so much harder to succeed. Mm. For those of you old enough to remember the battle between VHS and Betamax tapes, it's not always the best solution that wins. No. The important thing is to use the creativity to stand out. So, for example, simply using a signature colour can increase brand recognition by 80%. It, there are new ways emerging for SMEs to grab and keep attentions too, such as motion graphics. This can help you stand out from the crowd in a world saturated with content vying for your attention. Research shows that 1,200% more shares are generated by social media videos than image and text alone. So if you're not utilising that in one form or another, you're missing out on a big slice of the action. Yeah, definitely. And Helen, it's all very well having video and motion graphics and all the flashy stuff that Rich does, but creativity has to be built into the less glamorous areas of marketing as well, doesn't it? How, how do you ensure that? It is, and it's a difficult one. I mean, certainly over the years, we've helped to market a wide range of products and services. Um, many of them, I suppose you would see as less glamorous, you know, everything from steel containers to ventilation systems and even motor rewinding services. Some of those things don't necessarily automatically sit with that kind of whole visual creativity. And I think as well, when we work for a long period of time with a client on a specific product or service, it can be difficult to keep continuing that creativity on all activity month in, month out. And I think that's particularly true in B2B markets which is where a lot of our clients operate. I think the B2C market lends itself a lot better to that kind of more creative style. But I would say don't forget that creativity doesn't have to be very visual. I totally get what Rich is saying and it really stands out. But it can quite often be not necessarily just the creative, but the clever messaging. So it can actually be that signature statement or something like that. But even something like keyword research, for example, something that's a very numbers data-driven thing, We've actually thought very laterally over the years and we, we've come up with some ideas for new services, markets or products and things like that for our clients just by actually looking at something like keyword research from a different angle. But some of the things that we do as an agency, I think just to help, and again, I think people could utilise some of these tips. So look at other verticals and see how you can adapt their messaging or ideas. Just because you're in the B2B space, don't think that you can't look at something in the B2C space and then use that and adapt it and make it work for your own vertical. We regularly get different account managers to help brainstorm new ideas, to bring some fresh blood into the mix. So again, why not ask people outside of the marketing function or mm. even customers for their thoughts mm. and ideas? Mm. And I suppose I'd say, have some fun, think outside the box and use the brand to surprise your audience. Sometimes the really wacky ideas that someone mentions as off the cuff kind of you know thing suddenly ends up being the idea that really, really attracts the audience. Absolutely. And I think it's really good point to involve customers in that sort of research we have something we call a customer discover which is about understanding buying process from their perspective and it's amazing the insights you get when you ask those sorts of questions rich good creative can generate a lot of excitement 
But how would you move a brand from there? Because excitement can be quite short-lived, can't it? Mm. To one that's building a long-lasting connection with your audience. Yeah, I think the aim here is to create a brand personality that really resonates with your audience. And um, this can be done in a variety of ways. It could be memorable fonts or colours, a name or a mark that embodies what you stand for. And as Helen touched on there, perhaps makes your audience smile. Any of these can become a unique identifier. The key to this is to make every touchpoint a consistent visual experience for them. Once you're established, as Helen touched on again, you can start to have real fun with it and keep your audience wanting more. As an example, in the retail world, look at the excitement generated by the annual John Lewis Christmas extravaganza, if you like. These work because they sell an aspirational lifestyle based on brand values that have built up over years and years that we all understand, and they don't even lead with a product. No, that annual event is quite something when it comes to Christmas, isn't it? Helen, one of the key objectives of good branding is to help you stand out from your competitors and get noticed. So we've talked about creativity, we've talked about consistency, but what's your top tip to help you to, to do this? I think you've got to start by spending the time to identify who your competitors are. Quite often, it's not who you actually think. When we start working with a new client, we always ask them the question and a large portion of the time, they don't really know. They give us some names. That could be the name of the company that they last lost out to on a pitch or the long-standing market incumbent or even the company that the sales guy used to work for. You know, to understand your competition, you really need to look at, at them in the context of your target audience. So where do your target audience shop? Is it Google search? Is it on social media? What are they looking for? Is it products or services? What importantly drives them to make a purchase? Is it mm. price? Is it service? Is it brand? So I think once you understand that for each of your different customer personas, then look to see, well, what companies are, are actually meeting those needs in the best possible way. And those people are your competition. And it will be different for every single customer group. So obviously, once you know and you've really pinned that down, then keep an eye on what they do and then just make sure that you do it better, more consistently, consistency and more authority. Yeah. Well, that's been really good. I just want to finish with one last question, which I'd like to address to both of you, if that's okay. So if you're standing out from your competitors, you're attracting prospects with consistent messages and good creative, and you're getting a connection, it feels like a pretty short step to the holy grail of brand advocacy, doesn't it? I'm guessing you both think that's potentially underestimating how difficult that really is. Can I ask you both to summarize what you mean by brand advocacy and how you'd be able to show that you have brand advocates? And Helen, perhaps you could start with that? It can be very, very difficult. As you say, it, it's not as simple as it sounds. For me, a brand advocate is someone that regularly buys from you and where that decision isn't focused on price. Yeah. So they like the product, what you stand for, your business has the same values as they do. And so even if you're more expensive or if you are less accessible than your competition, they will continue to buy from you time and time again. And then if you take that the step further, they will regularly and consistently recommend you to their network whether publicly in the form of reviews or social media posts and things like that, or privately. But I suppose, how do you know that you've got brand advocates? I think for me, it's about the sales data. Look at the numbers of repeat sales that you get and returning customers. For service businesses, track your customer retention rate. Ours, for example, we know is six to seven times longer than the normal in the industry. How much income is generated as a result of client referrals? Many businesses don't even track things like that. 
I think personally that testimonials and feedback are great and social likes and things like that, they really help, but it's got to be based on the number from the revenue. It's sales that grow the business, not likes and shares. No, likes and shares are vanity metrics, aren't they? Yeah. Um, Rich, what about from your perspective? Yeah, so similar to what Helen said there, really. For me, there are various definitions of brand advocacy. It's that go-to product or service, as you've heard there, that you speak up for in conversations down the pub. It's the showcase that you tune into online to see that shiny new thing that's being launched. It's the subconscious purchase that you make when or even before something needs replacing. You know what to expect when parting with your hard-earned money. So cost to a degree, as we've heard, is a secondary consideration. Mm. It will come as little surprise to you that one of my brands of choice is Lego. It's certainly not the cheapest, but their innovation, customer service, and the fact that it just works really well you know, the bricks all fit together perfectly, keeps me loyal. But going back to my earlier point about the best solution doesn't always come off best. This was a struggling business less than 20 years ago. They were heavily in debt, sales were down, they were in real trouble. They'd lost sight of their audience and hadn't really adapted to the increase in the online world. Fast forward to 2021, and they're one of the most revered brands in the world. So I think there's an important lesson there as your brand grows, you need to maintain focus and not stray too far from what made it successful. Less is often more here. But that doesn't mean you shouldn't adapt. Times change, so your brand must evolve too. So remember, stay relevant while still remaining true to your brand identity and purpose. Yeah, yeah. I always think one of the key measures that really indicates that your brand is is out there is when you start getting referrals from people that you don't know, that you've never met, aren't clients or customers of yours but they're still referring you because they've come across you somewhere. And they think that's really good. And I, I suspect Lego are probably in that uh, space, aren't they? That's brilliant. Thank you very much. I think that's a great place to end. I'd just like to thank you both for your insights in this conversation, which I'm sure will add value to anybody uh, listening to our podcast, which they can hear on Finding Your North Star via our website, www.hgkc.co.uk. So thank you very very much, both um, Helen and Rich, and goodbye. Thank Thank you.